Season three, episode six of The People's Project. Big show tonight, we're gonna to be talking about how COVID-19 was born in a lab in Wuhan. We're gonna be talking about how good the floods in New South Wales are. Uh, the uh, fact that we have no government at the moment in Victoria and how good it is. Uh, the victimizer, the leftivization of the right. You made up that word. I did, I made it up. Leftivization. Okay, but that's where you're gonna tear apart, uh, what's his name? Justin Trudeau. Oh, uh, the other guy, O'Toole. O'Toole, uh, I'm, I'm, you're not a big fan of Justin though. Oh no, but who cares? Okay. I mean. And the other thing we're gonna talk about is your favorite topic, Harry and Meghan Markle. Oh yeah, great. <laughs> but first of all, can't go past this. This is the best thing I've seen all week. Really? This floats your boat? Dude, come on, does it float my boat? Magnums, everyone loves magnums. Well, except you apparently. But it looks like an almond magnum or a peanut magnum, which is peanut magnums. And look at the gooey set and little bites. It looks like an Eskimo poo. That's true, a delicious one. But the ratio of chocolate to ice cream and the gooey bit in the middle. Oh uh, yeah, the gooey bit in the middle does look kind of nice. Yeah. It's converting you, isn't it? A little bit. And I like nuts. Nuts? Like nutty chocolate stuff. This, listen, we, we don't have time to go into your what you like and don't like about food. That's not what this show is about, all right? Let's get started with the news. Josh, did you know that COVID-19 was created, engineered, in a level four uh, viral lab in Wuhan? The Wuhan Institute of Virology. I knew from January last year that the Wuhan lab was linked to it, but I didn't, I wasn't aware that it was engineered. So I'm using hyperbole to start the show. Well, not hyperbole, I'm just making conclusive statements. But yes, uh, this is coming out now broadly in the mainstream media. It didn't come from bats and bat soup. In mm. fact, David Asher was leading the uh, US State Department's investigation into where it came from and He's saying that it came from the this the only level four lab in China is in Wuhan. Yeah, I know. And do you know what they do there? They make viruses. What do you know what type of viruses? Bio war bio No, that's a, that's a that's slander. No no oh, they okay. make they make coronaviruses. They test coronaviruses. How's that what they do? Yeah. And they they try and the idea is to preemptively make vaccines and protect humanity from Oh, viruses. so they're doing good stuff. Apparently, yep. well, maybe they stuffed up, and that's that's what the story is. Uh, do you know what type of animals they they investigate? A number of animals, but one of the things they investigate in that lab is coronaviruses in bats. Mm. They import bats from further away in China, and very coincidental. Yeah, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, any sort of discussion on that topic about ten months ago would have got you fact-checked and blocked on Facebook. I'm wondering if we've already been taken down and no one's watching anymore because what I've been saying so far. Yeah. I'm hoping that I'm under the cover of, you've got this guy from the US State Department saying it now. And we also have, for example, Professor Brett Weinstein, who is an evolutionary biologist who specializes in viral, uh, where viruses come mm. from, and specifically did his research back in the day in bats. Oh, okay. Cool. So he's come out now, this is on Bill Maher, famous, you know, mainstream, telling us a bit about uh, the fact that, yep, 90% probability uh, it was a lab accident. There is this lab, I think it's the only one in the world quite like it, in Wuhan, where it started. It would almost be a conspiracy theory to think it didn't start in a lab. You think? <laughs> right? And, and, and that theory was demonized at first, that, oh, it can't, that, come on, that's conspiracy thinking. 
that it would started in the lab. But it it certainly is a 50-50. Would you say that? Oh, uh, it's far more likely than that. As a matter of fact, right. I said, I think in June, that the chances that it came from the lab looked to me to be about 90%. Okay. Um, so this was never a conspiracy theory. In fact, that term is simply used to make it go away. It's a, a, an obvious hy- hypothesis that is in need of testing, and we are only now, a year in, getting to the point where we can discuss it out loud without being stigmatized. Okay. A big part of the problem, of course, is that we are so politicized, we are so polarized and partisan now as right. a country that if the wrong guy proposed this to begin with, and for half the country it was the wrong guy, then the rest of the country says, no way, no how, we're going to call that a conspiracy theory, and, uh, and we're never going to revisit it. And the fact is, that's not how science works. That is not science. You need to, you need to say, I've got a pattern, I'm going to make some observations, and I'm going to consider every possible explanation on the table. And did it leak from a lab? That was clearly from the beginning a possibility. Many of the characteristics, the fact that this virus attacks so many different tissues in the body does not seem natural. The fact that it does not, at least at the beginning, did not seem to transmit outdoors nearly at all is very conspicuous. I mean, after all, most animals live outdoors. So a virus right. that seems to be adapted to indoor transmission is a bit conspicuous in this case. But I think Heather's point is, all right, you take the tension off of it. You let it go into the human population. It spreads out. We've now got many millions of individuals with infections. It's now going to move in the direction that makes the most sense for it rather than the most sense for the researchers. So, yes, I think there's every possibility that what we are seeing is um, a response to this virus now being free to explore evolutionary space. And this... the common theme is we need an evolutionary perspective on the research that's being done. It seems that there, is, there are certainly perverse incentives to once you start doing research to try to keep doing that research regardless right. of whether or not it's still good for humanity. Okay, that's not all, Josh. So that's Professor Brett Weinstein and uh, and Heather, I can't remember her last name, another professor. Uh, World Health Organization, Jamie Metzl, who's from the World Health Organization, yep. is also saying the exact same thing. In fact, he's also talking about how China has completely covered all of this up. Scientists rely on data, and there wasn't data because China was was covering it up. And the, the, the journalists require scientists to make to legitimate claims about the origins. And so there was this weird thing that's, that's lasted for a year. What has started and, to be discussed mainstream, like Newsweek had the cover, right. where it talked about the lab leak hypothesis, and people were talking about it more often. Uh, Brett Weinstein, who was very vocal about it very early on, yeah. and Heather Hying were just on Bill Maher talking I about it. I loved it. Then they had that really, in my mind, ill-fated press event in Wuhan, where it was this independent committee and the Chinese government. And they said, don't investigate lab leak, investigate the frozen food hypothesis. And then in every newspaper around the world, the headline was World Health Organization um, says uh, don't, lab leak is not, is not possible, essentially. And so I immediately sent messages to my, my friends uh, at the World Health Organization and saying, look, you're, this is being misreported. The World Health Organization hasn't said this. Uh, and uh, the, the position of the WHO must be we have to investigate all hypotheses. 
if you had had a fully functioning system, if it hadn't been Chinese politics and the national instinct, the, the national and instinct or the natural instinct hadn't been to cover up, to silence yeah. the whistleblowers, to give, to lie essentially to the World Health Organization and the international community, it could well have been possible to suppress COVID in the first few weeks, and we wouldn't be having any of this. So, and then it was politics that made China, again, whatever the origin, um, carry out this massive cover-up over the course of the last year where they destroyed samples, eliminated or removed databases, uh, imprisoned journalists, Chinese journalists asking tough questions and put a universal gag order on their scientists, uh, making it impossible for them to speak about, about any of this stuff. Um, that one, this wasn't a full investigation. I mean, they essentially had four weeks on the ground in Wuhan, two weeks in quarantine, and two weeks a fully chaperoned, highly curtailed study tour. If they say what needs to be said, just in total honesty and fearlessness, this is the full investigation, examining all hypotheses, including possibility of a lab leak, it's very likely the Chinese government isn't going to, going to sign off on that letter, on that, on that report. And I knew early on that this whole story of the wet market uh, was a lie. And as the Chinese government knew, and they for many, many months pushed that, that, uh, that story, um, even uh, knowing it, it wasn't true, it shows up in Wuhan, which is the only city in China with a level four virology institute that has the world's largest collection of bat coronaviruses that is doing gain of function research, trying to make those viruses more virulent, particularly by making them uh, more e able to infect human cells. This is a virus that is um, ready-made for getting to humans. For the first SARS, we were able to track how it jumped and you could see in, in retrospect, how you could see it got closer and closer. And as, as the, the virus mutated, it became more able uh, to infect humans. This virus showed up fully able to infect humans. As, in a, as a matter of fact, in the comparative studies of different animals, including humans, humans are the most susceptible to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So somehow you have to explain how this virus shows up kind of seemingly out of nowhere in Wuhan, ready for action, ready to fully infect, uh, infect humans. That was Jamie Metzl from the World Health Organization. Pretty eye-opening, actually. Yeah, because it's the first time you've seen that. Mm -hmm. I try to show you these things live to get your real reaction. Yeah, so look, dumping on China in the way that they've covered it all up. Mm. Um, you know, I think the, the best takeaway for me was that the original SARS virus... Mm. Uh, had stages of virology. Well, zoonotic jumps between animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas to. this one was ready-made, yeah. seemed ready-made to infect humans. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was information I didn't know. Mm. Uh, this is interesting that we're all focused on other things like um, vaccines and, and so on, but in reality, there are some... Now, these people haven't said definitively, but some people are saying was this is either an accident from the lab or it was a deliberate leak. We don't know. Well, either way, I think the, the um, truth that we can take away from it is that there are people in the world working on designing um, lethal or virulent strains 
of flus to deliberately infect human beings? Not necessarily deliberately infect, though they might be, but the, the whole point of the Wuhan Institute of Technology, which was partly funded by the United States government mm. and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as well, mm. is because they claim that they're doing gain-of-function research. Gain-of-function yeah. is to give to give gains to viruses to see where they might be able to go, basically wargaming how this might affect humanity and to preemptively develop a vaccine or something to, to prevent this. True. Just because they don't intend to use it in a nefarious way... Yeah. It doesn't mean it's right to do it. I can see mm. the war gaming aspect and trying to stay a step ahead of quote unquote evolution. Mm. But at the same time, it's ethically we need to have more discussions about this. Don't create don't keep creating killer viruses. Exactly. Even though it's a basically a real life D and D game. It is. And that and it's so hilarious now. It's so obvious now that of course, it was a lab-created accident or deliberate because gain-of-function, you're literally trying to give bat-based coronaviruses more abilities mm. to infect humans to see how it might affect the world, and that's exactly what's popped out around the world. Hello. I mean, how many, how many um, zombie movies do you need to watch to realise <laughs> that that's not a good idea? Let's stop dicking around. But you know what? We had preemptive warning from this. So Brett Weinstein, professor we've already watched, he was saying this in June of 2020, which is now nine months ago. Mm. And since then, I have been thinking more. He made a lot of sense to me. And I've been thinking this looks more like a lab leak incident. I, I haven't really said that anywhere to my friends or family or undiscernible because I haven't really had any evidence. It's just what I've been thinking. Mm. But you know what else scares me? It was not just that I was kind of waiting for evidence. I felt pressured mm -hmm. that I couldn't say anything. Like you said earlier, if you started to say lab leak yep. nine months ago, uh, shut down, shut down. There was a lot of uh, news articles from international news sources that were suggesting lab leak in as early as, I think, February yeah. 2020. yeah. And this was around the time when they were also talking about um, masks are useless for the average population because mm. you need a certain type of mask to mm. be effective. And if you do a survey of all the media uh, conversations that were on at that time and then you fast forward to the middle of that year, mm. you'll see that they all got shut down really quickly <clears throat> and very firmly. And that's when Facebook started to block people saying things and, you know, all around the the um, sort of the arbiters of truth. And mm. it was just so... The world is <clears throat> extremely politicised. Yes. And I think another takeaway is that this is not a natural... Uh, pandemic or phenomena. This is purely a government-created world crisis. Uh, okay. In Australia, that's easy to say because we have no deaths and no cases. Well, think about it this way. If governments weren't trying to front-run uh, evolution, mm. we wouldn't have had this. Wouldn't have had what? Ha wouldn't have had... Lockdowns and A ready-made oh, virus yeah. to to whether to accidentally get out into yeah. the public yeah. and to infect people, but also we wouldn't have had um, a country that suppressed the information yeah. so that the rest of the world could actually take steps to make sure that it doesn't get out of hand, but they 
didn't come forward. They lied to the World Health Health Organization, apparently. And still are. And so that's what I'm saying <clears throat> in the sense that because people are playing politics, international politics, um, the world is a, is a dangerous place. Well, it's heartwarming to see you've become a libertarian, my friend. <laughs> so, Let's not go that far. Well, look, governments should just do less. Hey, uh, interesting, what's Facebook going to do about this now? They're going to have egg on their faces, big tech, because they were shutting down this, but now it's the World Health Organization Yeah, they have to admit that things. it's not fact-checking. No. They're, they're suppressing opinion. Yeah, and, and even if they were well-intentioned, uh, they were incorrect, and mm. this is going to keep happening. So, yeah, you need to stop believing in... Facebook fact checks, not that anyone does. Let's end this segment by looking at Brett Weinstein from June, what he actually said nine months ago. And this is a good clip because it shows us just how prescient he was back then. And now looking back on it, that interview we're about to show with Joe Rogan for a couple of minutes, that was called out in the mainstream media as dangerous rhetoric, Mm. as false news, as all this crazy conspiracy stuff. And then now when you read it, you go, oh, he was so wise and he's so smart. And this is the problem of judging something in the moment and judging something five years later in hindsight. We need to get a whole lot better at this. Mm-hmm. So let's have a look at this clip from, from nine months ago. And then we're going to talk about the floods. We're dealing with a virus that I think is not what we have been told it is. How so? So I have uh, initially... I thought that this was a bat-borne virus that had been transmitted to people um, from the wild, probably through the bushmeat trade, probably through the seafood market in Wuhan. And immediately people tweeted back at me, so you think it's just a coincidence that there's a biosafety lab level four in Wuhan where this started? And I thought, what? That's a heck of a coincidence. And so I started to look into it. I retracted the tweet. I said, maybe I don't know enough about the story yet. And I started to look into it. And I went down the rabbit hole because as much as we have been assured by a huge range of experts that this has to have been uh, a bat-borne coronavirus transmitted to people, uh, possibly through pangolins, maybe through some intermediate host that we don't yet know, that story looks less and less likely. And the story that is looking more and more likely, what I would call the lab leak hypothesis, is looking ever stronger. The virus itself has several components that suggest that it is actually the result of manipulation in the lab and that it escaped probably from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but there's another lab in Wuhan. Um, it, uh, It may well have escaped and we may be dealing with consequences are the, of the, um, the fact that it was manipulated in a lab. In the genome as an insert, rather than mutations of nucleotides that were there, it's like somebody spliced it in. That's one thing, which could happen naturally, but um, it may well not have. And it has a flanking sequence, which has, this is uh, probably uh, going to be hard for people to follow, but nucleotides, that is DNA, code for Uh, proteins which are made out of amino acids. There's an amino acid called arginine, and there are two arginines coded for in the genome of this virus. But because there are so many possible codes, triplet codes, and only 20 or so amino acids, there's redundancy. And so which code 
is used to trigger the production of an uh, or the the inclusion of an arginine is variable, and the two arginines are coded for in a way that is not seen in in nature in this way very frequently. So, let's just say there are elements of the genome that are um, conspicuous and suggest possible laboratory manipulation. The furin site that I referred to that has been inserted either by a natural process or by a laboratory process greatly increases the transmissibility of this virus. Evolution in the lab takes place and changes that the people in charge want to happen occur and then things they're not even thinking about occur. There's adaptation to the laboratory environment that people who work in labs are un unaware of. And so one of the questions I have is this virus is highly transmissible unless you're outdoors. Then it seems almost not transmissible. That's very conspicuous. I mean, for one thing, bats live outdoors, right? Is it possible that this virus has adapted to the laboratory environment, an indoor environment, and that it has forgotten how to get transmitted outdoors? It appears that vitamin D is very uh, protective in the case of COVID-19, prevents the transmission, and you end up way less sick if you have proper vitamin D. Matt, do you think I'm smart? Not really. <laughs> Maybe I could be smarter if I learned how to read. You don't know how to read? I don't know how to read. Can you teach me to read? I can't teach you how to read, but I can teach you how to be really, really fast in reading. I've been teaching speed reading to over 7,000 students over six years. Really? I, I know, I forgot that I've done this for ages. Anyway, check out the course in the description, uh, link in the description below on special for the People's Project viewers. It's a good way to support uh, Dissemble. So Josh, very sad news. We have massive flooding. Actually, I'm not sure if it's fake news because I was told by a professor a professor, Tim Flannery, from Melbourne Uni, mm -hmm. that even the rain that falls won't fill our dams and river systems. So it can't be true that Warragamma Dam is spilling right now. Why? Because he said, he promised. All right. And you know, <laughs> Professor Tim Flannery, he's associated with GetUp, and we saw this on the other side of Australia this yeah, yeah. week. He, um, he's got an, a lot of funding, when you trace these sources, from these claims. And it seems to be that no matter what claims he makes, uh, no one holds him to it, which is why we keep going on about even the rain that falls won't. Anyway, this is the even the rain that falls won't fill our dams and river systems. This is what it did. From the air, the sheer magnitude of an unfolding disaster, the Hawkesbury River has become an inland sea. And Windsor, like an island, is keeping its head above the water. It's also a close call for dozens of rural properties along the old riverbanks. And in the middle of all this, rescuers wading into waist-deep water to lead a horse to safety. I know for many people, um, they will feel like it's breaking point. Some communities who were battered by the bushfires are now being battered by the floods. Here's our kitchen and living area, currently 1.2 metres underwater. Dan Devine showed us around his North Street home in Windsor. Put a lot of effort in and, and uh, look, it is, but you just got to say to yourself, well, let's come back in a few days and clean it up. A chopper was brought in to assist for another emergency. A pregnant woman airlifted from the floodwaters to the Nepean Hospital. 
The only way to truly understand the scale of this disaster is from the air. The town of Kempsey slowly disappearing underwater. The fast-moving murky torrent stretching as far as the eye can see. While residents in this part of the country have seen their fair share of floods, they've never seen one quite like this. Victoria, Dan Andrews specifically, that, that my friend, is a disaster. That my friend is an emergency. That's what it actually looks like. Do you know the state of disaster under the Emergency Management Act in Victoria was designed for that? Yeah, I know. That it literally- Because Australia has these periods of uh, quick weather shifts. Droughts and flooding rains, uh -huh. 100 year old poem. Exactly, and so what happens in a flood is the toilets back up, the oh, sewers bad, back up, bad. the water is really filthy, yeah. a big risk of infections yeah. and, and um, like waterborne diseases and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, that is a disaster. That is yeah. the emergency, uh -huh. and and that's what that's that's why it's so crazy what we've been doing extending states of emergency. That's what they're designed for. And when I saw this, my reaction was to kind of be woken from my slumber and and realize in front of my eyes and all of these people as well. Like, where were their masks? I know. Where is the social distancing? Does anyone care? No. Like your house is flooded. Your stock livestock's about to be drowned. When you're faced, this is my point for this segment, when you're faced with a real emergency or a real disaster, as you say, it brings into focus, and that's why I say how good were the New South Wales floods. They weren't. They were devastating. Mm. I don't want them. What's good about it is we've been reminded um, what we should actually be afraid of and preparing for. Mm. In fact, you know that guy at the end whose house was like a yeah. meter of water? I know him. Really? Weird, eh? Did you used to live around there? In Sydney, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, not near where he is, out in Windsor. He he was, uh, his name's Dan Devine, right? Dan Devine. He's from Sydney Helicopter School. And I did work experience there in year 11. So this is a long time ago, 20 mm -hmm. years ago. And he was an aircraft maintenance engineer, a mechanic fixing helicopters. And he was a ladies' man. And it just shocked me to see that he doesn't look how I remember him. Oh, yeah. Because he's aged a lot. And ladies he used to be man. so suave. They Dan Devine. Do. Yeah. But... Like when you think about um, life in general in Victoria mm. and you think about how we've all been worrying about each other and whether you're safe to mm. be around, mm -hmm. when a real emergency happens, people come together. Mm -hmm. And we as Victorians know what it's like to have an emergency. So I really encourage all our Australian uh, viewers to find out some way that you can help. Mm whether that's by donations or whether that's by to sending do the Red Cross and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't do the research before the show. Sure. But um, to help out in any way that we can because that's real disasters bring people together. Political disasters are designed to drive people apart. Well, it's amazing to me that when a real disaster happens, there's plenty of fear mm. and the government, I, I, don't, I didn't show much Gladys, but they're out there trying to calm and unite and tamper down fear. Mm. In a real pandemic, this is the same thing. I think I talked about this last week. In a real pandemic, governments fall over themselves yep. to calm their populations. That's right, because they don't, they don't need to create the fear. Well, the fear is already right there. Now. We've documented that's what this I'm saying. around that's, the world. That's why one of the ways that you can tell that you don't need to be afraid is because you hear people continually telling you that you should be. Mm. It's if it's real, the fear will come.
This is the number one problem that I've been saying for nine months now in Victoria. The problem is fear, or problem worldwide. And uh, we've got some people now who are, for a while we talked about them on the show, they were whipping up fear. Mm. And now I see that they are saying the problem is fear and they're trying to tamp down fear. I think we both know what I'm talking about there. Mm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a real problem because the, the, he's saying now he's finding 85% of the people he meets in local suburbs around here in northeastern Melbourne are completely afraid out of their minds. Yeah, it's become it's become to the point of pathology, mm-hmm. a, a fear pathology in people. Mm. So I'm grateful uh, that the floods were going to happen. Like we have this crap all the time. Uh, I'm just grateful that it's given us an opportunity to see what really matters at the end of the day. Josh, something so strange has happened in Victoria. What's that? I, I have been feeling really, I don't know, light. Really? I think that I was like, what's going on? Is the news cycles calmed down or something? I was going to say, are you, are you like back on your diet or something? Here we go. Here we go. Food talk. <laughs> no, look, not with those magnums. Fire out. No, I, I just feel like the air in Victoria is better. And, and I've had people, I have, I am very privileged and, and, blessed and honoured to be able to talk to a lot of people through social media. Mm. So I can actually take a litmus test of over 100 people. If I put out a question on IGTV, I can get 100 different views from all around Victoria and some across the country. You're a Family Feud episode all in yourself. That's, that's old. I don't remember Family Feud. Uh, but I've asked the question, hey, what's going on? And other people said, yes, I just visited from Brisbane and I visited as well six months ago, just after your second lockdown. They said there is a palpable difference in Victoria right now. Mm. And so I put out the theory it's because, you know who's not been here for, what has it been, three weeks now? And has got another three weeks to go? Downstairs Dan. Purple backdrops, downstairs Dan. Purple backdrop sermon, uh, Pastor Dan. The hasn't royal, been here. The royal family. I actually think there's validity to this theory because he actually gets up a lot and makes announcements. Mm. Unfortunately, he's had to make he's had to make a bad announcement or, or he's chosen to make bad announcements, whatever. But he's been the one delivering a lot of pain and abuse to the Victorian community yeah. in the name of keeping us safe. Now, James Molino, the acting premier, doesn't matter whether he gets up and announces... Notice how he can't help but do... He can't help but smile when James he talks. James Molino? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. It's opposite of Dan, who never smiles. Because yeah. Dan has got an image of, I'm trying to keep you safe. Mm. But no matter whether James Molino has good news or bad news, it's like he it, it's inconsequential. Mm. It's like we, we don't have much respect for him. It's benign. Whereas even Dan, we have a lot of respect for him. For some of us, when I say respect, I don't mean we mm. like him. When I say I we have a lot of, strong opinions about him. Yeah, but he, he carries weight. Whether mm. you fear Dan, hate him, or you respect him and love him, his voice is loud. Yeah. Metaphorically speaking. But Molino's is not. And this brings me to an interesting thing. Everyone is agreeing with me saying, yeah, you're right. A lack of Dan has really calmed our community. I mean, are you more or less afraid of a snap lockdown right now? Because I'm less afraid. I haven't really thought about it. But now that I do think about it, if a snap lockdown happened, it would take me more by surprise now than it ever would have before. Why is that? Because it's it's supposedly based on you facts know, and science. I have a theory. Mm. When you're in a family and one of the family members is angry all the time and just yells at people and yeah. just creates fear, yeah. when that person goes on holidays, yeah. all of a sudden everybody goes... <sighs> That's exactly so it. I think I think it's Victorians realise that they've been 
being abused. Now, some of them love their abuser and some of them mm. don't. Mm. But now that Dan isn't on your TV screens and you're mm. hearing his voice and all that, you just feel like, oh, my goodness, I don't have to be on edge all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how much of it is legitimately he's been abusing the population, how much it's just that we, we were just too much of it. Like, Look, it's not his fault. With the research that I did with, uh, with behavioural uh, science and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. um, we have been abused. There are some people that even though some older people who have the COVID vaccine yeah. and still wait are too scared to go and hug their family members, yeah. still... Yeah. after the vaccine and waited two weeks to hug family members for the first time in over a year. You showed us this in, in US. Yeah. There was that lady who was crying. She had to have no, a prescription. that wasn't US. The, no, because it had New York prescription. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a different story. Okay. But there's a lady who had to have a prescription from a doctor and it said yes. New York State, whatever it says, you are allowed to hug your grandchildren. Yeah. She was refusing to do it even though she was vaccinated. And that's what I mean when I when I talk about the, the fear-mongering or the, the way that governments create fear, it really does damage. Mm. Mm. And so now that Dan is out of the picture, we can all feel a bit safer. But at the same time, Dan is still in power. Mm. And so I don't... Personally, I think it's a managed a, a managed silence. Agreed. Of course. Of course it is. He's still there. Yeah. But it, it's, it's a beautiful time of fresh air and it reminds me of when Facebook took news off, uh, mainstream media news off mm. our feeds for a while. And it raises an important point, which is, do, do we want a government like this that is kind of, you know, James Molina gets up and we kind of snicker a bit. We're not afraid of him. We don't love him or hate him. He's just kind of like, whatever. We, mm. He's a clown, really. Uh, inept governments who just don't really do much has happened before. Did you know this happened in Spain in 2016? There was no government there for 10 months. 2016? What? What? That seems... That seems, sounds like something I would hear in 1890. No, no. This is recent because they had electoral issues. It happened in Belgium in 2010 for 589 days. No government or extremely limited. France had it recently, a couple of years ago. Germany had it in 2017 for a few months. That's nuts. No government. I never know... I didn't know that that was... I didn't know that that was a thing. It doesn't happen really here, does it? Or US, no. it always happens. Do you know what happened though? This is very interesting to me. Spain, so Spain, uh, when was that? 2016 for 10 months. Spain's unemployment rate dropped to 18, dropped to 18.9%. It's very high. Anyway, no. unemployment unemployment rate dropped uh, from 20 to 18.9, the lowest rate in six years. Uh, also the absence of a parliamentary majority has meant that no one has been able to do anything in government. Mm. I'm reading a quote now. There have been no bright plans to make things better, which I thought sure you would like. No more interventions into the economy, something I like. The economy has been allowed, left to tootle along under its own steam and has done rather well. You don't need socialism. In Belgium, similar thing happened. They called it a Belgium, what do they call it? A, a um, crisis. They call it a political crisis when they had no government for 589 days. Belgium's economy didn't stun anyone in the time period of no government, but it potted along quite happily without that firm smack of government for that year and a half. So I'm not saying let's just all get rid of government. It's better. What I'm saying is when you remove government, it doesn't collapse. Everyone just kind of toodles along. And so this narrative of what Dan and friends have been pushing, which is we're going to give certainty 
I don't buy it because here in Australia, when you have uncertainty about who's going to win the federal election, yes, businesses stop spending for those few months beforehand. But when you actually have like a long period of no government, they realize, well, there's probably not going to be an election. Let's just get get on with it. Let government to just sort out their issues over there on the side. And I'm wondering if it's not that we need more government or less government. It's more that we really need to pay less attention to them and they need to stop meddling with their positive policies mm. in our lives. And that, that would be a key point, is that basically everything that we're experiencing now has been predicted by smart people in the past mm. who were thinking about democracy. We live in a place where the mob rules, which is one of the critiques of democracy. democracy. Yeah. Yeah. And the elections are basically a popularity contest. And mm. once they get in, they just throw out their promises and do whatever they were going to do mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if we were to be able to get back to the place where the people didn't have to worry so much that their governments are going to change everything all the time, mm. then, yes, we could get back to relaxing and... and um, just living our lives. Mm. Building our businesses, increasing our GDP, whatever you want to do. Okay, so look, really I'm saying don't vote people in for their agenda and to, your agenda to try and make a positive change. I think that that's kind of a millennial noble type attitude. Anyone that thinks the politics of a country is going to make the change is abrogating their citizenry responsibility. Yeah, exactly. To to build a culture that is good for everybody. Yeah, let's do let's let's build it ourselves and let's stop looking to government to I need to vote in this person to fix it. That's a ridiculous four-year carousel that Ryan we need to get off. Mm. And this is uh, an ode. We're going to play a clip now from Clark and Dore. Do you know Clark and Dore? I ABCs? do. All right. So Mr. John Clark, who's sadly died, gone, passed, whatever you want to say, he um, wrote this to do with um, back in the day with Julie Gillard and how mm. she couldn't get anything through, through the parliament. But I've repurposed it to describe Victoria because I think it describes our current situation quite well. Okay, can I begin with quite a simple question? Yes, I wish you would. We like those ones, Brian. We've got a government here in Australia. Oh yes, I'm familiar with the Australian situation. It costs a huge amount of money. It's actually the main news story here, but it uh, doesn't do anything. What do you mean, doesn't do anything, Brian? Must do something. Does it meet, for yes, example? Yes, it meets. Yes, okay. of course. So it's not true to say it doesn't do anything, Brian. Does it uh, make announcements? Yes, it makes announcements all the time. Quite a busy government, Brian. You should be well pleased. What are the announcements about? Well, mostly about reversing uh, previous announcements. What a busy government, Brian. A bit of a triumph by the sound of it. I don't yes, think... The, it... Yeah, the problem here is they can't get anything through the parliament. Yes, well, what's the difficulty there, Brian? What is preventing... Well, that? either they can't get anybody to agree with the policy or it's the opposite of what they've said earlier. The government was elected, was it, Brian, by the people? Well, the previous government was voted out, put it that way. I see. Kerensky. Well, what is the constitutional question here? Well, well, the question here is, does Australia need a government? Well, our view is that countries, yes, do need to be governed, Brian. They need to operate within a set of laws. Yeah, we've got the laws. They work. Everything else here works. It's just the government well, does. Well, how does the country operate in the weekends? Beautifully. Works beautifully okay. on so the weekends. it works better when the government's not there? Correct. Yes, that is a problem. Do you have an opposition? No. Who runs the economy there, Brian? Treasury. Okay. Do you have a treasurer? Yes, but if anyone thought that he was running the economy, there'd be widespread panic in the street. Good heavens. Um, 
say, well, there's not a lot of opposition. That, that's, that, is there some no. opposition within the government? Well, yeah, but they don't want to move on him yet. OK, I don't know that this is actually a constitutional issue, Brian. I mean, I'd like to help you. I don't think we can. I mean, my heart goes out to you. I can see the situation. I'm well, sorry. Well, thanks very much for your time anyway. Can I order some flowers, please? Well, what have you got? A wreath. Yeah, that'd do. Have you been paying attention to what's been going on in the world? Such an open question. I, I can't help it. I'm a very open kind of guy. So I, if I if I if I have to ask like a really direct question, I struggle. What do you want to tell me about? What's well, in your mind? I was been I've been researching uh, can, Canadian politics because I realised oh, I yeah. had no go. idea. I didn't know anything about it. And, we have a lot um, of Canadian viewers. Hey, thank you for joining us on the People's Project. I'm sorry to hear about the atrocities that are happening over there, but we'll make oh, it. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, and so. I thought, you know, I don't know enough about Canada and I need to do some research. And so I first I wanted to research their Prime Minister. And so I've got a clip to show you. Hello, everybody. Hi, we hope you're all doing well. And happy International Women's Day. Women and girls are changing the world every day. Indigenous women, trans women, women of every background, origin, sexual orientation or age. Neither Justin nor I are afraid to label ourselves as feminists. And although many feminists in our country have broken down barriers and paved the way and brought us to where we are today, we have to continue to build on their work. And that takes place in our everyday lives. This goes beyond the economic benefits it creates. This is about young women everywhere in our country. It's about making sure they grow up in a world where they can do and be anything they dream of. And everyone has a role to play in making that a reality. It's especially important right now when women are bearing the brunt of the impacts of COVID-19 and we face a she-session. And to truly heal and come out of this pandemic stronger, we must have a feminist approach to our recovery. As a government, we're committed to that. We can and we must work together as partners and as allies to achieve gender equality. We need your help because the reality is that we won't be able to do this without you. That was creepy. Do you notice how breathy he is? Yeah, like, yeah, and I'm I am very attracted. It's almost like I, sorry, go. Well, I'm I'm very I'm drawn into him. You, oh, you are. Yes. Is that like a thing for you? What? It repels me. I must be the millennial thing. Really? Because he's talking millennial speak. Yeah, he's talking no, he to, and Gen Z. He's talking to us, man. And when you listen to his speeches and stuff like that, they're they're highly, highly oh. crafted. Oh, and he talks with that sort of like the breathy thing. Yeah, and all my colleagues are millennials. I don't. Well, I work here now, but when I used to work in larger companies, they was and I worked with Canadian, a few Canadians, three. Okay. And they loved him. Not just he's yeah he's a decent prep. They were like he's everything. He's really? gonna fix yes. Wow. Because he talks like that. But he looks like what you would expect a sort of like a a misleader to look like. He's the guy that's gonna take a country into into uh, communism. Yeah, but they don't care. They want him to say what he said, which is we <laughs> need to be he... a feminist yeah. country. Well, and, and all nice and hug everyone, have a hug, and they're like, "Yay!" It's nuts. I mean, like he repel, like he freaks me out. Well, there's a problem because he success, he like he people like him successfully speak to yeah. our future leaders and our future 
population. Which is a worry. It's a problem. But here's the thing, right? Now, here's um, sort of Canada's version of Labor for Australia. Mm. Um, someone's running against him that's kind of new, a guy called Aaron o O'Toole. Trying to run against him. And I've got a bit of a, a, a clip. All right, let's have a look. Canada has changed. Our party has to change too. Aaron O'Toole offered a deal to Conservatives, what he says is a path to victory if party members follow him. We need to be a Conservative Party with the courage to be bold and the Conservative Party with the courage to change, to meet this extraordinary moment and change, to change our approach. The man who ran for the leadership as a true blue Conservative The country needs a strong Conservative Party. Said today, the old ways no longer work. We have lost two elections in five and a half years. Status quo hasn't been working for O'Toole either. His poll numbers have been stagnant. MPs have grumbled about his leadership, anxious for a plan. Tonight, he gave them one, a blueprint for an election fight. A comprehensive jobs plan to recover the millions jobs lost during the pandemic within one year. Accountability and transparency laws, a Canada mental health action plan, strengthen domestic production of PPE, getting the budget back to balance over the next decade. He also made a direct appeal to earn voters' trust, saying for people to put up a conservative lawn sign with pride, the party needs to show it's inclusive. You are welcome in our party. In fact, we need your help. The question now, can this leader grow his following? Uh, he's supposed to be a conservative. Exactly. He literally said the opposite of what? Change, change, change. We need to change. And if you look at the way that he speaks, it's very light. It's very, it's almost like he's trying to match Trudeau. Yeah, you have to. That's what I'm saying. But here's the thing. Trudeau is so good and crafted at what he does. Uh, Labour light. If, if you That's try and just match it, you're yeah. going to get destroyed. Yeah. Because the, they say this in Australia too. The electorate doesn't want the Liberal to be Labour light. They want them to be liberal and then they want to make a choice every four years. But for some reason, and if you look across the major countries of the Western world, uh, UK, Canada, Australia and America, there's this what I call the leftivization of the right. Yes. So America, we because of Donald Trump, we can sort of take that out of that grouping, right? Yeah. Because he sort of revamped yeah. that sort of yeah. conservative yeah. fervor. Yeah. But if you look at Scott Morrison, you look at Aaron Trudeau, uh, sorry, Aaron O'Toole, and you look at Boris Yeltsin, uh, <laughs> sorry, I mean Boris Johnson, Johnson uh. there's, their policies are moving towards what you would expect the left to do. The problem is not that they're moving, they're just following the electorate. The electorate is going that way. And that's why I think that what we really need is an Australian version of Donald Trump that isn't. Donald Trump. I, I, yeah, without his pathologies. I'm thinking of someone like a Jeff. So you were surprised when I said this to you, Jeff Kennett's coming back. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realise Jeff Kennett was coming back. Yeah. I did know that John Anderson was going to run in the lower house. But these are all the same people. When I say Jeff Kennett, he's going to run the leader, the Liberal Party, not actually run for a seat. But anyway, these old guard coming back is what you're talking about. Yep, because the people in the old, uh, in the old politics look at today's politics and they say, wow, this is a mess. Mm. 
and it's driven some people to come out of retirement. Mm. And we're sitting here like the frog in the pot that everybody uses that analogy. We're, th- we're sitting here thinking, really, is it that bad? I would argue we need some of the more like the Peter Costellos and maybe even a better version of a Turnbull yeah. in that if a Tony Abbott were to come back right now, I'm not sure that would fly. If Tony Abbott, the guy, came back, there's too much bad press about No, but him. even a new Tony Abbott. It'll appeal to the conservative John Anderson types. But what about we're a rising population? But let me ask you, like, millennials. you know, one of the critiques, like we've said before, is... Um, democracy goes to mob rule, mm. which then makes the election a population, a, a popularity mm. Context, mm. contest. What I think is the major problem in Australia, and I, and I am hesitant to say this because I'm scared that people won't understand me or think deeper about it, is the problem in Australia is Australians. Yeah, that, I've been saying that forever. We are the problem. We are the one that vote for this. We are the one that respond to this marketing. We are the ones that give politicians a pass when they tell us yeah. that they're going to do something in their election yeah. campaign and then yeah. they go and do other things. Mm-hmm. And we're the ones that get led by the nose by media to focus on um, this person who's done this immoral thing mm. or this person who might have done this immoral thing. But have you ever noticed that the media and the Labor government are just basically picking up a big kitchen knife, imagine I've got a big kitchen knife, handing it to someone that they're badgering and saying, go, gut yourself, mm. um, resign, mm. fire them. Mm. They just badger, badger the Liberal Party to fire people, to get rid of people and you know, to get more women in and quotas to, to jo- just exactly they're on now, you know, to just change the Liberal Party, just gut yourself. Whereas the Labor Party gets a total free pass to almost whatever it wants to do. Mm-hmm. It's we we have a crisis in Australia and it's that there is not sufficient supply of intelligent, liberal thinking people to fill the void, and that's what's bringing the um, the classic conservatives of old back out of retirement. Okay. So you're saying what needs to happen is we need more intelligent voices rising up on the liberal side of things. So we because shouldn't have to panic right now, but we, we're in an emergency situation. We should panic because the election coming up in November 2022 for Victoria, at, at the lay of the land as it looks even to someone like me, uh, yeah, 100% Labor will win. 100%. It, feels, it feels like 90%. Western <clears throat> Australia might be a model for the next round, which would be terrible because it's essentially mm. a one-party country then. Yeah, he owns all houses and he made himself the treasurer. <laughs> He's got the most massive parliament number of people in there and he mm. can't find a treasurer. It's really it's really concerning when ideolo- ideologues get to a blank check to do whatever they want. Well, you know, uh, the Liberal Party in Victoria tried to roll their leader because he's not doing a great job, and uh, they failed. So it seems to me... They're committed. They're doing the opposite of what we're saying. They're not getting their act together. But that's what I'm saying. Like, with uh, the videos of O'Toole and what Boris Johnson is doing and ScoMo... And basically, there's a conservative crisis in the world. And it looks like 
America has probably the only rays of hope at the moment. With who? Like Ted Cruz Just with the resurgence of the the young conservative... uh, Well, I would argue... And now I may be completely wrong here, but there are some people like me... So I'm in this target group of idiot millennials, right? And we... Not all of us want a crazy in woke, mm. but not all of us want to go conservative either. So I'm quite left compared to everyone I talk to, like you and Damien Curry and, and Guess. And I am wondering if there is another style. Is there a rational... Traditionally, it's been like a, a economic conservative and a social liberal. Yeah. That's how they've traditionally said that. Now, knowing you these past year... How long have we known each other? A few months? I'm wondering whether there's a bit of danger in being... I always thought I'd be socially liberal and I'm starting to see the dangers of that. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, I had Aaron Wood on here the other day to talk about um, environmentalism and Mm. climate. And we had a very good, practical, rational discussion about solar panels and nuclear power and coal. And it was neither left woke coal's evil or right wing um, renewables are crap. You depoliticized the issue so that you could, could... You could talk. Yeah, but I'm wondering if there's another movement coming out of maybe more intellectual, more intelligent young millennials Mm. who might be able to take control of the culture a bit. I mean, maybe I'm being a bit too starry-eyed, but I'd love for us to take control of the culture. You know when you build a house, you build certain points in the house that you can't move, otherwise the roof falls down. Um, Politics is kind of like that. Mm. So what we need to do is have certain principles that don't move. Okay. And then we can have the conversation in what those principles are supporting. But if we are able to talk about everything and everything is movable, which is the you're always going to have a very unstable base. That's the critical theory progressive approach, the woke approach. But all right, help me think through this for a second. Because I'm sitting in this this I'm I'm in that target group. I fear more the conservatives than the, than the left. Even yeah, I know. I, even though I, when you that's say that's what I get with talking to people online or in person. They, they. I was talking with a kid. I think it was about eighteen, and he was. He didn't like. He didn't necessarily like leftism, but he definitely didn't like conservatism. And I asked him, "What do you think conservatism is?" And he said, "Conservatism is about controlling things." That's not true. No, it's not true. But I know what conservatism is and I'm afraid of it. I'm not afraid of conservatism. I'm afraid of conservatives because they do this all the time. See, what I think is going on is the left pre-woke, I could call it Mm -hmm. proto-wokeness. I like them. Those attitudes have been pushed on us for so long that people with conservative ideas have have invited it in to become their ethic. So what they've what they've done is they still hold their conservative views but they behave like the left. Like how they've been shown and pressured to behave. Which is aggressive, censorious, shut down, can't, not all of them, but this yeah, is not the part I hate. Them, this is the part of conservatism I hate. Yeah. And I would agree with you. Like the, there was a um, a news article uh, in the last couple of days about the rise of uh, right-wing extremism. Yeah. And I'm deeply concerned about that. Yeah. I think that is really, really bad. But I see it as 
when in history, when you have sort of like discussions and, and scholarship and all that, you basically, for one extreme, you have the polar opposite extreme, mm. right? And both of those two things are almost 99% wrong. Mm. I think the, the woke is more wrong than the extreme conservatives. Because if the concern, well, if you were talking about the socialist national group that is considered a, a, a domestic you're, extremist you're, you're, group, you're going into fringe. I'm just talking yeah. about the most hardcore Trump supporter versus the most hardcore Bernie supporter. The world would be better with a crazy hardcore Trump supporters' policies than the hardcore Bernie supporters' policies. Yeah, because when you're talking about individualism, an individualism extremist we're talking theoretically yeah, right now, yeah, yeah. is not going to go and, exactly you know, make rules for everybody. Exactly. But a Mao or Kamala, these... Yeah, so a communist or a yeah. socialist or someone who treats uh, a group of people as if they're one entity... They will break the world. They will break the world. In fact, they, they have, have broken the world many times. Mao is a big... People one. often forget that uh, Mao, even without Stalin, hundreds of millions of people lives lost. Can I just uh, remind everyone the number one killer of humans ever? Government. Yes, it's government. And the biggest leader of one of those um, governments did the most damage was not Hitler, was not Stalin, was not... Um, who are the other guys in, in Russia? I can't remember. Lenin. Lenin. Uh, it was Chairman Mao. Chairman Zidong. Mao. And China, China was never the challenged. Forward. Yeah. I think it, you said hundreds of millions. I think it was like 60 million or something that died directly as a result of the starvation he caused. Unbelievable. But people think, oh, in Australia, you know, we don't have, we have socialism, but we don't have death. And it's like, no, what do you think euthanasia is? What do you think abortion is? I mean, we get isolated and desensitized so that when we hear about China's human rights abuses, we point to our government and say, you do something about it. Mm. This idea that government replaces the population, like it acts on behalf of the population, it does in international matters. But as far as morality goes, you can't legislate morality. Mm, they would, I agree with you. That's crazy. But they kind of they are. Ha, they try yeah, they, because ultimately what a law does or what a law can't do, let's put it that way. What a law can't do is change your heart. That's true. It can be illegal to be a racist, hmm. but the law itself can't change your heart. You need someone to come and to talk with you and educate you and encourage you. I'll keep helping you with your speak, racism oh, thank in your you. heart. I think everybody at home knows that uh, your attitude to China is a little bit more harsher than mine. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's only because I'm. you actually have the same view. You just won't give it because you were scared people would call you racist because I look Asian and I'm, I'm scared Wong. people would call me racist. It's okay. It's okay, Josh. I love Josh. all races. I know that you hate Especially China. 100 metres. It's very exciting. Hey, let's, um, let's wrap up the conversation because... We're going into some other things there, but I, I still haven't worked it out. I still haven't worked out this this extra group. I don't buy this binary. There is we a need, bunch of us yeah. coming up the middle. I think we definitely need to be able to talk freely about it much more widely, much more broadly, without the interference of media and the politicizing of the issue. Okay. We'll keep talking about it, but right now we need to talk about someone very near and dear to your heart, Meghan Markle. Um. 
Do you like it how I just keep throwing accusations on you like it's It's fact? kind of like when you're a kid and they're like, ooh, you like Megan. Oh, here we go. I'm I like, don't actually like Megan. This is coming out of nowhere. It's propaganda. Okay, Josh, wrapping up the whole show is this amazing tweet. I think it's an Instagram, actually. <clears throat> Slow to write. I don't know who he is, but... He says, why should a person be grateful for being a member of the royal family when they could aspire to something much greater? Well, before you even get to his answer, which is victimhood, mm. uh, you should aspire from royal family to president because Meghan Markle wants to run for president now. This is a legit story. Yeah. This is nutso. And just as an aside, not in the notes, she's now come out and admitted that she lied in the Oprah interview about being married three days beforehand because the Duke of, not the Duke, the... Chris, the past, the dude, the priest, the, um, the archbishop. archbishop has said, no, 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 you didn't get married three days beforehand. That's funny. So in other what she, else is she lying she, about? She, she started a political campaign on a lie. It's all right. It's not a lie. It's her lived experience. It's her truth. Oh, yeah. Look, Megan is, uh, this makes a very serious point, which before we do the serious point, I've got to show you some more comedy, actually. Look at this table. This is a table someone created to show, it came up with 10 statements, right? And what oh, yeah. they've done is they've taken things that Megan has said and they've combined two things she said, they've combined it into one statement, such as number one, I don't read the tabloids, but they are so unpleasant I had to leave the country. Because Megan, oh, let me explain one before we go to the rest. So Megan Markle says, no, 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 I don't read the tabloids, I'm above it. But mm. then she complains that it was so toxic, the tabloids were so toxic in the UK mm. that... Um, I, they treated me so poorly and I had mental health issues and I had to leave. Now, this is important because I think, I think people get away with this. Read that one. I will. But first of all, the point of it, people get away with this because they say the statements separately. Yeah. So Megan Markle says, I don't read the tabloids. I can't. Like, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm this queen type person. And people go, oh, good. And then a month later in another interview, she says, the tabloids are so bad. Every time I read them, they're attacking me. I had mental health issues. And people go, oh, you poor dear. But mm. you put those two statements together like these 10 and they do, don't match. and you go, you're lying. Yep. Maybe even to yourself. There's the image, and then there's the emotion. And I bet you, if you go through these, you can tell what the image statement is and the emotional statement. Let's do a couple. How about this? Number two, the racism in Britain was so bad that we've had to come to the United States. That's almost like a joke in itself. Right now, she's going on about how bad racism is in the United States. Yeah. Um, Habit number four. As a mere... Oh, just to say, oh. it doesn't sound like either of those are the emotional truth that's coming out. Hmm. Both of those are a policy position. She does this all the time. But they're so slippery, as we just talked about in a previous segment, this... Uh, what do you call it? The progressive, everything's movable. Yeah, the double speak, the this, shifting definitions this, and all that sort of this stuff. This is why I think they're lying to themselves because everything's moving. So they can say one statement today, yeah. be dissonant in the head and say tomorrow. Their brain is compartmentalized yeah. into this is, this is this, this is that, and they don't communicate. This is why we need this. In fact, I wish somebody would do this for me. To say, what have I contradicted myself on? I like number eight. Well, we haven't done four yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I want someone to do this for discernible so I can... This I find this helpful. Um, as a mere A-list actress on a top-rated TV show, Suits, I was totally unprepared to enter the media spotlight. Mm. 
Again, for the people watching, she's said both those things in separate conversations. She's tried to claim how A-list she was in Suits, which she wasn't, it was a B-grade. And she's also tried to claim that the media spotlight was totally, un was totally new for her, unprepared. Do you want to do... And then she's the one that said, I want to get interviewed on Oprah. Yeah. Oh, how about this? We're moving someone... They should have done this one. We really want privacy, so we're moving to... We have no privacy in UK, so we're moving to LA, hiring a PR firm and going on Oprah. Yeah. Yeah, give me one. This is uh, Harry, I assume. <clears throat> Megan is not to blame for me leaving the royal family. I couldn't have done it without her. He's literally said that I couldn't have done it without her. Uh, I'm broke, apart from, apart from the millions, millions my mum left me. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, what this really sort of suggests is that you've, you've got to assume that they believe their own rhetoric. They, yeah, I think right? they do. And I think a lot of people don't think while they're talking or don't think before they We talk. all do this. I do this. Yeah. So it's it's funny because we're putting the focus on it, but we all do this, definitely. Mm. Even I do this. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it's hard to believe, uh, but what what we can learn from this is listen very carefully, mm. you know, critically listen to people mm -hmm. and don't just take what people say as, as you know, what the truth is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Even for ourselves, because I think we could all have a chat like this. Not quite oh, this totally. bad. This is pretty bad. I mean, check this one out. As an American, number six, as an American actress and friend of Hollywood celebrities, I did not have the phone number of a therapist. Yeah. This is when she's going on about uh, um, mental health issues. And then, of course, I love my grandmother so much. I'm completely loyal to her. F you, granny. That's um, yeah, Harry. So there you go. There's a bit of comedy for us, but it raises a more important serious point, which we've just talked about, uh, cognitive dissonance and... Um, I think it stems from what you said earlier, that shifting, that lack of solid ground underneath every, our belief patterns and our worldviews. Mm. So we should watch a series on worldviews, which is available on Discernible. Exactly. And, and I'm coming out with up, a new hurry episode. Up, hurry up. I've finished it. It just needs the final production stamp and the release. Okay. So You know, you, you, uh, this, Easter, this weekend is Easter. Yeah. So you should well, release the Christianity one for Easter. Well, my intent, and I'm hesitant to say this on air, but my intent is to release it on Good Friday. Why are you hesitant? Because I wasn't sure whether you were your schedule. Oh, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Because we All need right, to so understand. We can, we can say Good Friday? Yeah, we need to understand that. Um, no, because we have People's Project on Friday. I know. So what are we going to do? Saturday? No, Thursday. 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 We'll do Thursday. We have to uh, realize that East, what is Easter actually about? Mm. But people don't want to do this because they don't want Christianity. But sorry, like whether you're Christian well, or not, that's what Easter is. Well, let's just look at it from is. a worldview perspective. The reason why I'm doing the videos is not to convince anyone of a specific worldview, world yeah. but to help people understand what the worldviews are so that they can think about their own worldview, yeah. so that they can have a more honest and open conversation with people of other worldviews. Yeah. Because when people disagree, it's usually something in the worldview. Yeah, Absolutely. Anyway, that's a good series. That's it for this week. Big show, I think, and important show. And uh, we'll we'll leave it there. I'll, I'll throw some bombs before we go, so let some grenades go off, and then we'll we'll sign off. Uh, Pfizer is going to start trials on kids. For Why? The vaccine. Exactly. In the US, they're going to start trials as young as six months old, vaccinating babies against coronavirus. It's ridiculous. Love it. 
Not just Pfizer, what else is happening around the world? Uh, Canada, so Pastor James Coates, who went to jail for opening his church, which is oh, insane. Yeah. At the same time he went to jail, they released known sex offenders because, but it gets worse, they said to the community, we've had to release these people, they're very highly likely to re-offend. Really? Yes, yes. This is a public statement from, I think it was from the police force. Anyway, it said they're likely to re-offend, so be careful. Are you mm. serious? This is about two weeks before they I'm locked up. I'm starting to think that Canada is worse than Victoria. I think it is. If you look at the lockdowns, I spoke to a Canadian friend over there. It's pretty bad. Uh, in Canada, they've got elections coming up, so if you want to change things, vote. But, I mean, why would you vote for that guy? I think. Yeah, it's hard oh. to know who to vote for when everything's a wet cushion. A wet cushion. UK uh, has, you brought this up, UK has um, travel bans now. Travel bans. 5,000 pounds. They're locked inside their own country with As a pain of 5,000 pound fines. No, you're not locked in if you're Zac Efron's brother who just jetted into and bypassed everything here in Australia. Yep, that's right. Really? His brother. Zac Efron's brother. And, you know, he came on an exemption for uh, film and TV benefit to the economy. But your little cafe benefit to the economy doesn't count. Uh, also, if you are George Brandis, the um, ambassador to the UK, mm-hmm. he, you know how we've got caps and Australians can't get home? More yeah. stories have come out this week that I've seen about people who can't get home. Uh, he flies into Australia and out, no problem, for a holiday. Yeah. And ScoMo defends him and says, yeah, he's entitled to a holiday because his job in the UK is difficult. Yeah, it's like if you want a Marxist revolution, keep doing that yeah, sort of thing. Unbelievable. Uh, Germany went to go in a lockdown for Easter and then one day later, uh, Mer- Merkel, the, what do they call her? The chancellor, the boss. The yeah. Man, uh, she reversed her plans uh, and said, no, we're not going to do it. And that's exactly what seems to be happening around the world. Pe- governments are realising politically mm. they're in trouble. Yeah, and there it's not about the science at all. Not it anymore. Was. It never was. Okay, I'm going to take a halfway position right. and say they started on the science. You're saying that never was, but certainly now we can all agree it's not about the science anymore. Mm. Even masks here in Victoria. Dan Andrews is finally letting us to take the muzzles off today, Friday at six p.m. So everyone's seeing this at seven thirty. Masks are no longer mandatory, except from public transport and hospitals, aged care facilities, and rideshare, Uber, and so on. Does that mean that social distancing? I think that's going to stay forever. Uh, but remember, the reason why we had muzzles in, in uh, Victoria, when people were, were questioning Dan, he said, what's the problem, Rachel yeah. Baxendale? It's uh, keeping you safe. Apparently, it's not keeping us safe. Yeah, well, he said um, they, they are of some benefit. And if they're of some benefit, it's not much of an inconvenience. And most Victorians agree with Dan on this. It's not much of an inconvenience. We should do it for the sum benefit. What about what about science? It's not about science. And great news all around the world. Governments are realizing this. They politically can't push uh, populations as far as they thought. America is all opening up. Some people are saying it's going to be a disaster, but the death rates in Florida would say no. It would prove otherwise. Uh, in the UK, we're having massive pro- in Europe having massive protests as well, and governments are suddenly backpedaling on things like here in um, Victoria. Even our gathering limits have been raised uh, to hundred, hundred or two hundred in the home. Mm. Uh, but as soon as you get to a big event like uh, the footy or the Australian Open, you can have ten thousand, twenty thousand. When you ask them why you're allowed to do that, they don't say, "Look, the public health advice has determined that it's going to be safe anyway." Mm. They say things like. The net benefit to the economy. It's all about money. Like, I mean, we are the economy. Do you know what I mean? Small businesses are the economy. Not in Dan's Victoria. No, not in 
communist state of Victoria. And that is the news. Enjoy your week without masks and all this crazy stuff happening in the world that we didn't have time to get to. And what would you say the most important thing of this episode is? I would say go and try the Magnum Bites. I would say don't chew gum before you start filming because you're going to get in trouble. Wow. Wow.